from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Ty Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Oil prices tank as the renewed push for E15 continues. As fertilizer worries shift into high gear before planting, what's the impact it could have on the overall acreage debate? Another thing that a lot of people are not talking about as much this year is acreage prospects here in the United States. There's a lot of crops that need acres. A humble hero with a remarkable rural route rescue. I was able to move the tractor off of the fence, get it back to the barn. Um, was able to, to mend the fence. That's grit with grace. And in John's world, they found the endurance. Now for the news. After moving well above $100 a barrel earlier this month, oil prices are finally on the way down. And that is slowly starting to reflect in the prices at the pump. The drop, a result traders say because of new COVID lockdowns in China, along with possible progress in the talks between Russia and Ukraine. It's not just oil. It's it's wheat, it's corn, right? It, it's everything that was involved with this Russia-Ukraine situation that we had seen speculators jump into a market and really, I mean, push prices to where we can argue probably not to, we don't need to get there yet. We didn't see any supply problems yet. Sure, it could create that down the road, but looking at things right now, it was more of the speculative, just, just jump in and run. Well, what about year-round E15? Could that help lower prices at the pump? Well, the White House press secretary asked about that earlier this week. A bipartisan group of lawmakers have called on the White House to lift the ban of summer sales of gasoline um, with higher blends of ethanol. Mm -hmm. um, it's cheaper than traditional uh, blends of gasoline. Is that something, you mentioned a menu of options, but is that something specifically that the White House is considering? In the menu of options. Energy Information Administration data analyzed by the Renewable Fuels Association says that ethanol stocks grew by 2.7 percent recently to almost 26 million barrels. That's the largest reserves since April of 2020. Well, the president of Ukraine is calling on the country's farmers to plant as many crops as possible this spring, saying, quote, this spring, as much as any, we must make a full-fledged sowing campaign as much as possible because it's all about our life and about our future, end quote. His nation is the world's second biggest shipper of grains and the biggest exporter of sunflower oil. The country's Ag Producers Union saying farmers will put an emphasis on spring crops that will be harvested in the summer because they don't know what the situation will be going forward. They are expected to put an emphasis on buckwheat, peas, and other types of crops to ensure Ukraine is fully provided with food. Well, Bayer is the latest company to announce it's cutting back on business with Russia. It says it stopped all spending in Russia and Belarus, and that's not related to essential products and health, as well as agriculture. Bayer saying in a statement that it was suspending advertising, promotional activities, investment projects, and new business development. It added it would continue to deliver essential products, and it says, quote, withholding essential health and agriculture products from the civilian populations, like cancer or cardiovascular treatments, health products for pregnant women and children, as well as seeds to grow food, well, that would only multiply the war's ongoing toll on human life, end quote. The company adds that their seeds and agricultural inputs stand ready for the planting season for farmers in Ukraine and that they hope the Ukrainian farmers will be able to secure the 2022 harvest. 
Well, there may be rain on the way for some areas of the west, but there's concerns about winter wheat conditions here at home as drought continues to grow. The U.S. Drought Monitor shows more than 60% of the contiguous U.S. is in some sort of drought. Last week, it stood at the largest percentage since 2012 when the U.S. saw an all-time record of 65% of the country in drought. And the problem has increased just over the past few weeks, with drought coverage increasing nearly 170,000 square miles, an area larger than the size of California. Well, that drought picture continues to expand, but strong storms are on tap next week. Will it cover areas desperate for rain? Well, we'll have a check of your forecast. That's coming up next. The 2022 Bracket Busters Challenge, presented by Case IH, is underway. Who's still in the game? To find out, head to AgWeb now through April 4th to check the leaderboard. Your U.S. Farm Report forecast is brought to you by Zoetis. Even though calves don't wait for the perfect weather to arrive, you can count on Zoetis to be there. Share a picture of your newest calf and you could win a calving season survival kit. Enter now at calvingseason.com. Well, time now for a check of weather. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us now. Well, the start of spring off to a very active start, Andrew. I know you're keeping a close eye on severe storms that could blast across the south this week, but how much of that will cover areas that have growing concerns about drought right now? That's right. As we go throughout this uh, start of this upcoming week here, we're going to watch out for waves of strong to severe thunderstorms across the far uh, deep south here from the eastern Texas panhandle all the way over towards uh, the Florida coastline here Monday through Wednesday for damaging winds, flooding, as well as even a few uh, long track tornadoes that we'll have to keep our eye on. And this is an area that really we don't need a lot of moisture here. It is a little bit dry in spots, uh, but overall outside of Louisiana there, uh, we don't really need that moisture. Where we need that moisture is from the Plain States so westward. That is again where we continue to see that drought beginning to continue to strengthen here. And it's also dry up into Wisconsin as well, uh, where we've had really uh, not a lot of snowfall to really uh, saturate those soils. And taking a look at the uh, National Weather Service's spring drought outlook that was just released uh, this week here throughout the spring months here, April, May and June. That's where the drought is likely going to continue to uh, worsen, unfortunately, which is not good news from the Plain States westward. Meanwhile, for the Great Lakes East Coast, uh, really no uh, hardcore drought expectations expected at this time. And walking through the jet stream, you see that low pressure there, that dip in the jet stream as we go throughout this week. That's that strong frontier, and that's going to help enhance again that severe weather across of the deep south. And this is also going to allow for some cooler air to funnel on in towards the Great Lakes. We'll be watching a big upper level ridge trying to develop out across the western U.S., which will likely keep the western half of the country on the mild side and a little bit cooler up along the northeastern coast, as well as the Great Lakes and upper portions of the Plain States for this upcoming week. And this is how we break down uh, your Monday's forecast. Well, again, we'll be watching this low pressure, this deepening low pressure system here, and that'll help to again spawn showers and thunderstorms, some severe weather across the uh, eastern Texas panhandle. Meanwhile, the rest of the country here dealing with waves of high pressure. And we'll also be watching for another low pressure system developing across the Pacific Northwest, which will once again increase our rain chances for the Pacific Northwest and inland areas. And then as we head towards the midweek here, we'll be watching a dome of high pressure increasing out to west there. That'll get Montana on the milder side. Cooler weather behind this cold front on the back side of this low. That'll help to usher in cooler air. 
and we'll be watching rain showers. That system working its way further up towards the north and east. Ahead of that, some milder air. Again, showers and thunderstorms, some flooding concerns with that low pressure system as it continues to work its way eastward. And then as we round out this week, cooler weather prevails behind that cold front, mild weather out across the plain states. And as we take a look at the temperature trend for this week behind that cold front, that low pressure system looking below normal, below average for the central portion of the country. Time. Thanks, Andrew. Well, weather definitely playing into acreage decisions this year, but this week was another volatile week in the commodity markets. So did the fundamentals change in either grains or cattle? Well, Don Close of Rabobank and Joe Vaklovic of Standard Grain break it all down in our marketing roundtable discussion next. Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Well, welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. As promised, Don Close and Joe Vaklovic. Joe, let's start with these grain markets. Another volatile week in the market. Saw some intense pressure to start off the week, and then grain prices recovered a little bit on Thursday. What was the driving factor this week, at least? I don't know that there is one single driving factor when it comes to the day-to-day volatility. We're in high-priced markets. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that open interest and trading volumes are down. I don't know if traders are, are burned out or if there's just a, a lack of interest in general, but uh, that's that's a factor that has led to more volatility, I think. Uh, fundamentally, you know, we're still watching the situation in Ukraine, which is very much unresolved. Still just a, a great number of uncertainties regarding uh, crop production in Ukraine, exports, all of those things. We know that South America has a very light soybean crop relative to what we had thought it would be, you know, three, four months ago. So those are all kind of underlying friendly factors here for the moment. Another thing that a lot of people are not talking about as much this year is acreage prospects here in the United States. There's a lot of crops that need acres and there's a lot of crop that can't afford to lose lose acres, but somebody's going to lose and it, it, it makes for a, a supportive situation, I think, uh, overall until we know a little bit more about it. Yeah, and we are going to talk about that acreage debate. But, Don, leading up to that, I mean, you look at the fundamentals of the cattle markets. Has anything fundamentally changed besides the fact that we have seen grain prices climb? Yeah, the, the beef trade itself and, and North American proteins we really don't have a direct Im impact from Ukraine. Uh, we've got a little bit of, of poultry exports from Russia. Uh, there's a small amount of beef imports to Russia from Brazil, but in the overall global trade, uh, it's very, very small. Obviously, the, the huge driver in that is the uncertainty and the volatility with feed grain prices. What will be like, look like with the cost of gain numbers as we go through the summer? Yeah, another thing that we're watching, Don, in these cattle markets, the impact that the drought is going to have on further liquidation this year. Are we seeing that to the magnitude that you think we possibly will if this dryness continues in the West? I think that's probably the absolutely biggest driver in our market right now, Tyne. Uh, year to date, cow slaughter as a percent of federally inspected slaughter is running at 22%. If we go back and look from that 2010 to 2012-13 period, cow slaughter on an annual basis never exceeded 20% of federally inspected slaughter. So what I'd say after the, the liquidation of cows we've had for the past three years, we're doing, we're setting up a structure 
incredibly similar to what we saw in 2014. We're just doing it on steroids this time. And, and I don't see any indications that that uh, cow slaughter is going to slow down. It will, it will slow down some seasonally as, as green grass comes out. But, uh, but for the year, I still think it's going to be incredibly large. Well, speaking of the drought situation, Joe at Commodity Classic last week talked to a producer in South Texas who said he actually quit planting because the moisture just wasn't there. How big of a factor do you think drought will be on these final acreage numbers this year? Because it is weighing heavily on those producers in the West. Uh, it's it's a situation that I think is is fluid and changing. There's a lot of rain uh, that's coming for the Southern Plains, the Western Corn Belt, and the Central Corn Belt here just over the next few days, and and probably uh, as people uh, watch this. So there's it's a situation that could change. There's still some time. I mean, immediately my concern would be the winter wheat crop that's that's in the ground in the Southern Plains, in particular where it's been dry. But yeah, I mean, you get closer to corn planting if it's still dry in the West, uh, that's a problem. And there are some areas I think in the Central and eastern part of the Corn Belt that could end up being even too wet. Uh, you look at places like uh, central Illinois and, and maybe parts of Indiana that have been excessively wet, and they're going to see a lot more rain here over this next week. So you've got a, a mixed bag of factors when it comes to weather. Yeah, but right now, Joe, what is the market trading, do you think, as far as acreage number, numbers go? Uh, I don't think anybody has a clue. I think the market is trading somewhere in the 90 to 92 million acre range for corn and and slightly less than that for soybeans but i i there's always some sort of surprise in the acreage report i think this year is going to be no exception there's going to be something that surprises us i mean on on paper corn makes more money than than beans uh, according to the budgets that i've seen but this fertilizer thing is just is is a huge wild card i mean availability uh, people with contracts on fertilizer, do they actually get physical supply? It's, uh, it's a big question mark, and I just I don't know exactly how it plays out. I know there's estimates out there, but I, I feel like we're all going to be surprised uh, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, fertilizer availability, definitely a wild card this year. Another wild card when it comes to beef demand, gasoline prices. Is it having any impact on consumers' willingness to buy meat right now? We will talk about that coming up on U.S. Farm Report. Well, a remarkable find happened in the Antarctic recently, but the story of endurance just may be the silver lining in it all. Here's John Phipps. They found the endurance. Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic expedition ship on the seafloor last week. This may not mean much to most of you, but I've always been fascinated by stories of the unbelievable feats of hardship and accomplishment of that time. Shackleton's goal was to cross the Antarctic on foot. His ship became icebound, eventually sinking. And you can see on this map, to save the lives of the party, Shackleton and five others set sail in a craft about the size of a small ski boat for 800 miles through some of the world's worst seas. The story raises two important questions for me. First, were these people out of their minds? But without the context of that age, we cannot grasp the thirst for fame from exploration. Indeed, there was intense competition for such endeavors like Scott and Amundsen to reach the South Pole. While there were considerable financial rewards involved, they were not gigantic, even by the standards of the times. In many, if not most cases, it was largely the ego 
that drove the leaders of these efforts. At that time, heroism was synonymous with extravagant displays of fearlessness and hardship. Too often were forgotten the, those innumerable similar efforts that failed miserably without fanfare. The second question I have is how a human body could withstand such conditions and demonstrate such astonishing strength and stamina until machinery vastly multiplied the power available to humanity, our personal machinery was all we had to affect the world. So that's what people used. Considering the countless incredible stories of exploration like Shackleton or Lewis and Clark, maybe people at the time somehow sensed that this age of muscle was in its twilight and was going to be overtaken by machines requiring different physical gifts. It's kind of like the last medieval nights, seeing a cannon go off and determining to leave a legacy of ideal masculinity. This belief in the superiority of physical strength was finally shattered in the trenches of the Great War, World War I. Nearly superhuman accomplishments like Shackleton's were certainly acknowledged with mild surprise and admiration at the time, but seem unimaginable in our culture where humans measure physical prowess by treadmill readings or innings pitched. Farming was one of the last pockets of this muscle supremacy and our values still reflect this, but our definition for arduous labor would have caused amused smiles a century ago. Some great perspective this weekend. Thank you, John. All right, when we come back, Machine to Repeat, he has tractor tails. That's right after the break. The American Soybean Association's Conservation Legacy Awards are brought to you by Valent. Valent USA offers proven crop protection solutions to help growers achieve a more sustainable, profitable operation. Visit valent.com to learn more. And by Bayer. Bayer is committed to delivering better solutions for farmers while enabling them to operate more sustainably. Bayer, science for a better life. Find farm equipment on Machinery Pete's March 22nd online auction. No reserve, no buyer fees. Start bidding now at auctions.machinerypeat.com. Hey folks, welcome back to Tractor Tales. Join me this week as we head to Illinois to check out a restored Oliver 99. This here is a 1955 Super 99. It's also uh, got a 371 Detroit diesel engine in it, which is kind of normally called the Screaming Jimmy because it does make a lot of noise. Weighs 8,500 pounds. It's no uh, light duty unit. Been a real power tractor. Uh, the neighbor used to plow with it and it'd keep everybody up till he, he quit at night. But, well, the two air breathers there, he always had the idea that I thought it was good too. He wanted to put two John Deere's. I said, no. We're going to put a John Deere and an International in there, and that's been uh, quite an eye-opener for everybody, and yeah, it's something different. This is one I always drove, I don't know. They always said for me to take care of it, and I could drive it, so 
getting down in age and all, maybe that's why I got to wear hearing aids because it it's it does what they say. It's a screaming Jimmy, and it will really talk. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Well, an accidental conservationist whose efforts just earned them national recognition. We'll introduce you to an Iowa farm family who was just named American Soybean Association's Conservation Legacy Award national winner. That happens next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Well, last week we introduced you to a regional winner of the American Soybean Association's Conservation Legacy Awards. But the national winner was also named last week. A farmer from Osage, Iowa, who's proof sometimes things happen by chance when you put your best conservation foot forward each and every year. Wayne Fredericks calls himself the accidental conservationist. When he started farming back in 1973, he believed a fully conventional tillage operation was the only way to go. But after nearly 20 years, Mother Nature stepped in and upended those plans on his northern Iowa farm. Some of my friends say we're just south of the North Pole when it comes to dealing with cover crops and, and no-till and such. But, but 30 years ago, this particular month, we froze up and we couldn't plow our corn stalks. I said plow our corn stalks because at that time that was part of our production system. We plowed our corn stalks and, and we worked our bean ground ahead of our corn and soybeans. And so that winter I was pondering what to do and I happened to run across an article about a young gentleman that was no-tilling soybeans in southwest Minnesota that caught my attention. I mentioned it to my John Deere dealer and long story short he got a drill in that spring that we could rent and try and it worked well, they grew well. They yielded well, they looked good, and that was important to my dad. He lived on the highway. And from that point forward, I was an instant no-tiller of soybeans. Strip-till corn came about a decade after no-till. The technology evolved and showed promise. On the 756-acre farm, Frederick says his goal became one of setting an example for other farmers by successfully showing that no-till and cover crops work, sharing information he learned, and trying to make a difference on a large scale. It wasn't until you know about 2012 that we started working with cover crops and we were doing experimental work for the Iowa Soybean Association, their on-farm network, and trying to learn what worked, when to plant, how to plant, how thick to plant, how to terminate, what effect on yields and so forth. And I knew that we could reduce nitrates with cover crops. And so I became a passionate advocate and we went to 100% adoption of cover crops that fall. Fredericks has seen positive results on his soils as well. And we've done a long-term study that uh, it looked at some of our farms and we, you know, we nearly doubled our organic matter in, in 30 years. The nutrient sequestering properties of a cover crop's root mass also adds to the overall benefit. We don't have the phosphorus runoff that we used to. We don't have the nitrogen that is running out of our drainage systems. We're seeing about a 40% reduction under cover crops on on sites that we've been monitoring our tile water. And beyond the benefit to crops, Fredericks places great importance on the bigger picture of conservancy. We've been a, a, a good adopter of pollinator habitat. 
and uh, in, in strategically located places. In fact, this is, is one of those habitats that we have here. And so we've done some uh, profitability analysis on all of our farms, and, and we found some of those spots that, you know, in a corn bean rotation weren't necessarily always profitable. And, and if we could put them into a conservation practice such as, such as CRP, we could uh, achieve some benefits that number one, improved our bottom line profitability, but number two, provided some wonderful habitat for you know, monarchs and other species. Bottom line, he says he's learned that what you do on your land shouldn't just stay there. And I've just kind of put myself out there as, you know, walk the talk, we're gonna adopt these conservation practices, we're gonna learn how to make them work, and then share that information and data with fellow farmers and hope that we can create a bigger community of conservation in this part of the country. Congratulations to Wayne and Ruth Fredericks of Osage, Iowa. What an honor. All right, up next are high prices at the pump turning people off from meat. Don Close and Joe Baklovic rejoin me next. The American Soybean Association's Conservation Legacy Awards are brought to you by Nutrien. Nutrien's commitment to growing the world from the ground up means taking our role in protecting the planet seriously. Nutrien, feeding the future. And by your soy checkoff. Who's making sales that impact your bottom line? You are as your soy checkoff. Moving soy forward, moving you forward. Joining us again, Don Close and Joe Vaklovic. Don, we've seen oil prices come back down. However, gas prices have not responded in that same manner. Are we seeing these higher gasoline prices at the pump? Are we seeing it impact consumers' willingness to pay these high prices for beef? Certainly, we're seeing a, a decline in consumer confidence, and that's showing up uh, throughout the market. We are seeing some, some shift from a year ago. Uh, overall, I would say beef demand is still quite good. But if we look at the price on individual primals, there's certainly a growing level of evidence that we're seeing steady to weak prices in middle meats. We're seeing higher prices on the chuck and round items. Certainly the ground beef prices have been, have been strong. So there's evidence there that consumers are trading down on the beef items that they're willing to buy and, and certainly showing caution or uncertainty. Yeah, speaking of, of, of some of that uncertainty, Joe, when you look at, at corn prices, typically higher gasoline prices, good news for ethanol demand, uh, good news for corn prices. Does that correlation not exist anymore, Joe? Um, I think it could to some extent. For the moment, uh, the U.S. ethanol producer is generally profitable. Ethanol production has been okay. It's been mostly normal. The thing that's concerning would be ethanol stocks which are at their highest uh, level on record, seasonally speaking. And, and really the only time we ever saw higher ethanol stocks was during the spring uh, 2020 COVID panic. So that could be a problem if you get to a situation where gasoline, is, is gasoline demand is materially reduced and demand for ethanol itself is materially reduced. That would have an impact on corn demand overall. Uh, we're not to that point yet. I suppose we could get there. I, I don't know if I'd make that assumption. It's just one of many possibilities, I guess. And Joe, speaking of demand, I mean, on the grain side, we saw some phenomenal export sales recently. 
But are we having trouble moving that grain? I mean, when you look at the truck driver shortage, when you look at some of the issues in rail that we're having, some of the issues on water, are we having any issues moving these these export sales? Well, we started off the marketing year for corn and soybeans with issues. We had the hurricane at the Gulf, and that delayed shipments of corn and soybeans and everything else out of the Gulf really all throughout uh, September uh, through a lot of October. So we have yet to really play catch up to any significant degree. Shipments of corn are still, I think, like 14% behind last year. Shipments of soybeans are 21% behind last year. So I think we have the ability uh, to catch up. And uh, the sales have been excellent. You've seen some contra-seasonal sales, as a matter of fact, of soybeans, uh, old crop soybeans, that you wouldn't really see this time of year normally. Uh, but you're seeing them, I think, because of the light South American crop. So the demand for U.S. beans is there. We've also, uh, on a different note perhaps, we've got the best uh, new crop book of soybean export sales on record. So not only are global buyers coming in for old crop, they're coming in for a lot of new crop uh, soybeans and corn both. Well, Don, speaking of export demand, when you look back at last year, I mean, export demand really was the shining star for beef. I know we don't ship a lot of beef to Russia, but are we seeing any trouble signs when it comes to exports? Not yet. Uh, we, we've started the year with the January numbers uh, incredibly strong. China continues to be uh, an, a phenomenal growth market. We're still seeing very good trade volumes with Mexico. Uh, certainly, uh, Central South America is, is a new emerging marketplace. And the, and the, the whole uh, Southeast Asia complex continues to be very, very solid. Uh, with the volatility, the global volatility, is there a risk of seeing some slowdown? Certainly it exists. But uh, everything we're seeing at this point in time, uh, and, and it's particularly with China, uh, it's full steam ahead. The one other point that I would add with that on the whole logistics uh, and supply chain situation, you know, we're seeing some better, better reports out of uh, both LA, Long Beach, Oakland, uh, all, each of those ports had made accommodations to get perishable items in and out faster. So I think the, the bottleneck that we, we closed out the year with uh, at the ports, I think that's getting a, a touch better. And uh, at this time, the export uh, situation still looks very, very promising. All right, Joe Vaklovic, Don Close, thank you both for joining us this weekend. We appreciate it. Let's take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Grit with Grace is brought to you by Zoetis. Your dedication runs deep and it fuels everything Zoetis does. To protect and support cattle and those who care for them, we are born of the bond. Learn more at bornofthebond.com. Well, a year ago, John Moody's daily routine took a tragic turn. While feeding cattle, a farming accident left him stranded. But it's a rural route hero who delivered a rescue that embodied grit and grace. Nestled in the southwest corner of Virginia is a lush landscape that serves as the backdrop every day for Alan Dix. This is uh, part of my 75 mile mail route uh, that I travel six days a week. A route he knows by memory is one he traveled a year ago just like any other day until he came across a scenario that seemed out of place as a local farmer's tractor was in the fence and still running. When I first saw John, I, I, I was it was it was comforting when I saw him 
and I could tell that he was conscious. But when Allen inched closer, he noticed John Moody was still conscious, but quickly learned what had just taken place. I was feeding my cattle, and I had a hay bale here on the front, and I had a hay bale on the back. About an hour before, John was feeding cows. It was March 4th, 2021, the day after John's 70th birthday. Normally, I just pull off the side of the road and pull off in the ditch and let it idle there, and I go across the road, open the gate, and come back and get on the tractor. Started back to the tractor and looked up, and here come the tractor. He says his first instinct was to try to jump on. My right leg got caught under the back tire, and it just pulled me under. Luckily, when it ran over me, when it got to my hips, then it just turned to the side and went on off into the fence. I thought I was paralyzed. I couldn't move either one of my legs. Knowing he couldn't move his legs, he still tried to muster the strength to get help. I thought, well, maybe I can pull myself up and get on the tractor, but I couldn't take a step or nothing. But as he lay on the ground, John heard a steady stream of hooves heading straight toward the open gate. So I crawled over and got the gate shut so the cattle couldn't get out. And in that moment, he knew his only chance of survival was to lie back down and wait. I kept thinking, well, sooner or later, the mailman would come. And after about an hour, and sure enough, finally the mailman came. Alan Dix came by right on schedule. He called the rescue squad and called my wife. I was able to move the tractor off of the fence, get it back to the barn. Um, I was able to, to mend the fence. Even then, Alan's job still wasn't finished. He needed some personal things from the house. I went to his house and got those. As the ambulance showed up and rescued John, Alan didn't miss a beat. And then I finished the mail route. After all, to Alan, that's just what you do. We take care of each other out here. Uh, we look after each other. But for John, Alan didn't just rescue him. Alan went well beyond his day job as John was desperate for help. And then when he got back down to where I was, another neighbor had came and they fixed the fence where the tractor ran into the fence so the cattle could get out. As for John, he was flown to Wake Forest Baptist Hospital in North Carolina where there he spent 15 days, but the road to recovery took several months. I had one neighbor came and fed my cattle for the rest of the winter. <clears throat> and I had another one come and vaccinated all my calves. While John Moody was shown so much love the months after the accident, to John and Debbie Moody, there's only one hero. Alan is truly a hero. He will always be a hero to the Moody family. Um, because of his quick thinking and he was able to assess the situation when he got there. And while Alan says he was just doing his job, he's not your typical mail carrier. Instead, he's a humble hero who delivered a rural route rescue significant enough to receive the U.S. Postal Service's Hero Award last fall. Saved me from a lot of suffering by getting there when he did, or I don't know when somebody would have got there that day. As for John, his recovery has been a year in the making. I had been thinking about cutting back on my cattle. Well, while I laid there, I thought, well, this might be a good time to just sell all of them. So that's what I did once I got better. But John's story also has a happy ending because almost a year after John survived the tractor accident and sold off all his cows knowing he couldn't care for them, he just bought 19 head of cattle to graze again affirmation that when you have enough heart and passion, it's a way of life that not even tragedy can take away.
Wow, it's stories like this that really do showcase the best of rural America. And you can hear more of those heartwarming stories by just following the QR code on the screen. It will take you directly to the Grit with Grace landing page online where we have all the stories from this past year. All right, when we come back, paint at the pump. Has anybody noticed gas prices lately? U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Firestone Ag. Harvey Firestone invented the first pneumatic farm tire, forever changing what it means to farm hard. Visit FirestoneAg.com to learn more about this history and tire solutions for today. Record high gasoline and diesel prices in some places across the country. What's the fix for fuel prices? Here's John Phipps. A question much on the minds of many people today. At what price point will farmers give up and throw in the towel because of higher energy costs? What can we do about it? And that's from regular viewer Phil Haymaker in Hickson, Tennessee. Phil, gas prices upset us partly because they are literally in our face every day. It's something we have to buy often, which increases our resentment. They didn't go up gradually either. Surprisingly, Americans spend only about 3% of all consumer expenses on gasoline. Similarly, farmers' fuel increase is considerable, but is being overshadowed by far worse budget problems. This crop budget from my go-to economist at FarmDoc Daily shows the financial headache facing farmers like us. This estimate was done last December, so even if we allow for higher fuel costs by increasing the estimate, say, by five bucks to $25 an acre, it still only comes out to about 3% of the total crop cost of $760. The increases that are really jolting us are fertilizer, pesticides, seeds, and rent. Regardless, farmers won't stop farming because of fuel costs. In fact, history will show us they'll operate at a loss for several years unless financially forced to stop. As for proposed solution, there aren't many good ones. Since ideas like drip more drilling permits or new pipelines wouldn't have been online for years anyway, there are two crucial things to remember. Since allowing oil experts when the days of fracking were flooding us with unexpected oil, our domestic oil has been priced on the global market. Demand, especially in Europe, is accelerating and competing for oil everywhere. I think the big holdup, though, for oil production is the fact that tight oil companies, frackers, tend to be smaller independent companies whose investors have been burned twice by sharp price drops after spending billions on new wells. Industry operators have discovered investors will now penalize companies who plan on expansion. Since much of our petroleum independence has been built on these fracking companies, supply will remain tight. Chanting, drill, baby, drill, doesn't work if baby doesn't want to drill. Successful consumers and farmers will do the obvious but difficult things to cope, beginning with finding ways to use less. And don't forget, if you have a question for John, you can email him at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, when we come back, while some of you are prepping to plant and itching to plant right now, some in the South have already wrapped up. That's from the farm next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator, it's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential. 
Pre-order by March 31st with coupon code USFR for free shipping. Well, spring is in the air and many in the Midwest are itching to plant, so it may be hard to believe that some in the South are already finished. Lindsay Kimbrell in Itasca, Texas, telling us that Kimbrell Farms wrapped up planting corn last week. With the drought situation, unfortunately, it's actually the earliest they've ever finished planting on their farm. Now they still have cotton to plant, but they say it's still too cold yet to do that. And as planting madness ramps up in the Midwest, well, who's still in the game when it comes to the NCAA tournament? Our 2022 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH is underway. Now through April 4th, you can check out the leaderboard at agweb.com backslash bracket busters. It's farmers versus farmers. First place, they get a $1,000 prize. Second place gets $500 and third walks away with $250. So make sure to check out who's in the lead. All right, that does it for the show this weekend. Thank you so much for watching. Next weekend, we are on the road to Canada. We're at the Grain Farmers of Ontario March Classic next week. And we hope that you can join us as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. 